On this episode, we discuss Aline. The Flophouse's first ever foreign language film. That's right, everybody. French Canada is in the house. Regular Canada need not apply. And welcome to the Flophouse. I am Dan McCoy. I am Stuart Wellington. Et je suis Elliot Kellon. That's right. I'm speaking French. Oh, oh, oh. mais oui. And that's it. That's the extent of our I'm French. Uncomfortable. Guys, <laughs> I am so glad that after the chaos of small temper the madness of Shocktober, mm-hmm. we get around to watching a normal-style movie normal where movie. a 50-odd-year-old woman is turned into a 12-year-old kid and she sings in Canadian a bunch. I was explaining... It's was in French. It's <laughs> French. It's called French. That's <laughs> them? It's the same thing? It's Audrey the same was like, I thought they sounded alike. What are you guys watching? And I said... I watched this movie, uh, Aline, and it's like it's the story of Celine Dion, but they didn't get her life rights. So, and then she like cut me off right. She's like, "It's a Jackie Jorp jump," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a Dirty exactly Rock that. style Jackie Jorp jump situation, <laughs> <laughs> where it's now, clearly not even hidden that it's about Celine Dion, but they don't. She's Aline. At, at one point, at one point, uh, someone says, "Now Celine," and they go, "Oh, Aline." Like that happens yeah. in the movie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's. Cl- I mean, she sings "My Heart Will Go On." She sings real Celine yes. Dion songs in the movie, yeah, so it's clearly <laughs> based on Celine Dion. <laughs> like, not, it's such a weird. It's such a. It is. It's such. A, this it's is not such really a, a Ramon Ro, Romana clef at that point. It's just no, like, no. It's just a Romana Roman. It's just a clef a clef. <laughs> like it's the. It's it's such a. It's such a weird misshapen mishmash of a movie, and the fact that they're like mm-hmm. this isn't a, at the very opening. It says. This is based on Celine Dion's life, but it's fictional. And then it, throughout it, they're like, Celine Dion, wink, 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 not Celine Dion. It's it's, it's other, very— con- The other wild thing about that that you're making me think of, Elliot, is like once they've gone down the road of fictionalizing Celine Dion's life, why not make it more exciting? Yes. Because this yes. is basically the story of a woman who— had instant success mm-hmm. <laughs> and then had like a few personal road bumps along the way, but you know, of the kinds that are, you know, normal to most, most lives. Not yeah, of the, of the kinds that are not really the fodder for a dramatic film, but you know, who disagrees with us, the French, because this movie did win, was nominated for four César, César awards, including uh-huh. best film. And uh, the lead mm-hmm. wow. actress, uh, Valérie uh, Lemissier, she won you for mean Best writer, Actress. writer, director, star of the movie? Yeah. That's right. Triple threat, quadruple threat. Writer, director, star, sniper. Valérie Lemissier. <laughs> Le- wow. She doesn't do that in the movie, but just in her. And she's someone uh, who— Lemissier, so, Lemissier, me. Sorry. And, and I've, I've seen her. She was a—she previously won a, a César or César. How do you pronounce it, Dan? I think it's César. Cesar, that she put for mm-hmm. for the movie The Visitors in 1993, which I remember seeing in the 90s. It's a comedy with Jean Reno, a time travel comedy with Jean Reno, uh-huh. and they did an English language remake. Oh uh, right. So this is someone who I've I think that's the only other thing I've seen of hers. So it's so 
she comes into this as such a like she is very much the the auteur behind this movie. Mm-hmm. But it, to to an American viewer, it might as well be she might as well be Neil Breen. You know, in, yeah. in, in terms of the, but except the movie's budget is big. Or well, she's I mean sizable. she's a quite successful she's a director star in, France. in France as well as a comedian and actor. And I will say that like once the movie grows her up into full-size Celine Dion. She does a great job at, like, capturing the vibe of Celine Dion. <laughs> like, but, she's she like, always, but she always seems like she's kind of parodying Celine Dion in a weird way. Yeah, a little like, bit. And know? also, when you when you trade in, like, I would I would prefer an entire movie where a 50-odd-year-old woman, woman plays a 12-year-old than a movie where somebody does a passable Celine Dion impression. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah, it loses a little bit of it loses a little bit of uh, excitement when she grows up and stops playing a child. Are you guys big time Celine fans? Because for the most part, I think all I know about Celine Dion is based on bad RuPaul's Drag Race snatch game performances where people imitate. Yeah, I mean, or back in the day, I think SNL did a lot of Celine Dion impressions. I don't. Who was who was the cast member who did that dance? Oh God, I would I would have no idea. I uh, Andrea Martin (laughs) maybe is it that far (laughs) back? Uh, Was she on? Was she ever on SNL or just SCTV? That's oh maybe maybe she was not SNL. Hold on. Um. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of Lorraine Newman. But she also um, didn't play Celine Dion. No, neither of them did. Uh, this uh, part of the conversation is going nowhere, so I'm going to skip backwards to an earlier part where we're talking about what we know about Celine Dion. And well, let's, I think, let's get back to what we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we watch a bad movie and well, then we talk well, about it. I, sure, we have. But I, as Stuart asked a direct question, I would yeah. say that beyond mm-hmm. uh, my heart will go on, and um, I guess I didn't know all by myself was is that her originally? I didn't like. I or don't that... think so. Okay. Well, let's take a look. Oh no! It's, um, uh, so let's see. Let, doing doing some. Uh, hold on a sec. Doing a little bit of online detective like, work. I will say that. I, I think no. It's originally Eric Carmen, and then okay. uh, and then Celine Dion did a version of it that was also very popular. I mean, she. And I guess, and the song is, this is, this, the verse is based, this is what it be, is based on the second movement of Sergei Rachmaninoff's uh, Piano mm. Concerto Number no. 2 in C minor. So really, that's a Rachmaninoff song all by yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, oh. that's, that's why it rocks. And, and he, he was often <laughs> by himself. <laughs> uh-huh. that's, that's what he would say when during his during his radio DJ days, goes, you can't spell Rachmaninoff without rock. Now here's the yeah. lead zip. Here's yeah. Rachmaninoff, time to get your rocks off. Come on, Dan. I, I I wanted to say I do think that like, don't turn that radio rock on off because we're going to be rock on on all day with the biggest hits. Okay. Anyway, Celine Dion has not been uh, you know as big a part of culture lately because she's had you know health problems that have made her withdraw a little bit more. Like she doesn't publicly perform, but like I, th- I feel like you know having lived through the peak Celine Dion, we should talk a little bit about it and be like. Like she was like a ubiquitous cultural figure, even though none of us can mention like like really like know much about her. Or maybe you do, Elliot. I haven't gotten. No, to I mean yet, I don't. Like, partic- I mean I think it, but it also the time when she was. I mean, I think it's totally cool for us to not know that much about Celine Dion going into this because it's not a form of music we're that excited about. And she was well, a and in America she had a she had a brief moment where she was everywhere, and then she yes. had her Las Vegas residency on for years. But in Canada. And in the French language world, she's been a star for decades and decades and decades. Like yes. she's she's yeah. she's a she, they um they treat her in this movie kind of like Princess Diana. And I wonder if that's really the place she had in the French Canadian 
imagination, you know, basically as the kind of their emissary to the world and also the the, the princess fairy tale that they fell in love with. And maybe that's the case. But in Amer- in New Jersey in the 1990s, I have to say it didn't. It didn't impact too much the uh, Bon Jovi. To- <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it was back then. Back then, we just listened to the <laughs> to the four Bs: Billy Joel, Bon Jovi, Bruce mm-hmm. Springsteen, and also mm-hmm. the big band sounds of Tommy Dorsey. <laughs> yep, the big bopper. Yeah. And also big trucks rolling through the neighborhood. Yeah, because the parkway was right there, the turnpike, yeah. <laughs> and Big Country by the band Big Country off the album yeah, Big Country. Because that was about New Jersey, because that song's about yeah. New Jersey. Yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. And, of course, you ain't seen nothing yet because it has a part that goes, baby you just ain't seen yeah. nothing yet. On the Sopranos, why do you think they're at the bottom Bing? Because that's B's. New Jersey's all about the letter B. Do you think what happened in the studio? Man versus B, the studio when they were recording that, he saw a ghost baby and he's like, baby. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I and they're like, leave it in that shit fucking whips. <laughs> that was on behind on behind the music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go backwards, so I, to clarify, I wasn't I wasn't taking us to task for not knowing Celine Dion. I think it's perfectly reasonable that three men of our age would have not. Like that would have not been the music we were listening to. Which we is know not, her biggest it, which hit, which is not yeah. anything against her. She's like obviously a very talented vocalist, but it was not. You really of, like, worried that was, the, that the Celine Dion stands are going to yeah. come after us on Twitter? No, I That's just fine. want to clarify that like uh, they're called Dioniacs. Uh-huh. I think we all listen <laughs> to like wide swaths, <laughs> yep. wide swaths of things that like are not necessarily like particularly now. Like uh, Stuart was. Texting me, he was like, "This new Carly Rae chips. <laughs> not like you cannot yeah, stop. Yeah. And I'm like, "I'm already listening." But I'm so I'm not like being like. I just want to make it clear. I'm not like, "Oh, that's girl music" or something like that. But it was not a thing that I had any familiarity with beyond like Titanic, and, and, and she this was is- almost immediately kind of a camp figure, like a bit of like because like, uh, she was taken like she was one of these very popular stars who was taken down by music critics for being like too schmaltzy or whatever in a time where that was seen as like a negative i think that now like there's been a turn in like the pop culture criticism where we're not so much just dismissing things because they have emotionality or whatever but well, maybe I, I think i think that i mean this is a larger discussion <clears throat> but i think that 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 kind of music critical establishment no longer mm-hmm. exists and, and it certainly thing. is no longer in the hands of the same rock obsessed el- aging indie hipster <laughs> white nerds male or whatever baby boomers yeah, who are like- white male baby boomer babies <laughs> and so like so i feel but in my mind in the 90s it was like okay Celine Dion's listened to the, by the same people who listen to Barbara Streisand, Andrea yeah. Bocelli, like the suburban mm-hmm. moms that I knew in in the neighborhood. So it was like, I'm not going to listen to their music. <laughs> I'm busy listening to Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, <laughs> a, a Canadian surf guitar group I only knew because of a sketch comedy show. <laughs> yeah. And I think they had already broken up before I started exactly. listening to yeah. them. So that's, that's what I was into, man. <laughs> but anyway, let's get into the movie because we've made – uh, a reference multiple times to the single strangest part of this movie, but have yes. not really dug into it. And so I'm sure that the listener is 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 waiting and, to hear a little bit more. About and this. I also I want to say that this is exciting that we're finally inaugurating the first episode of House du Flop International uh-huh. because this is our first <laughs> yeah. foreign movie I think that we've done right. Maybe, like I don't know if we've done. I think English we, we could just we could just say shave flop. I think that that takes care of. Uh, <laughs> All right. I mean, I mean that's that's not as exciting to me, but okay. Shave flop. Yeah. But I think this is our first movie that's not in English as its 
a basic as its main language, and I'm very I think excited you're about it. True, because I I watch yeah. a lot of foreign movies, and so if I was like, finally a movie for me. Oh wait a minute, no, it's not. <laughs> so we open up. I'll take us. It to, did help yeah? me. It did help me combat my uh, natural tendency to get disgusted <laughs> by these movies halfway through and pay less attention. <laughs> <laughs> I that had, you to had to actually read, it? read yeah. the, yeah, uh, the I, film. I'm just I'm so, I'm so glad you didn't try to like cut a piece of fruit while you were watching it and keep your eyes on the screen and cut your own fingers off. I'm glad that didn't yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, Thank you. so we, st- we start with an opening text uh, warning that says, the film is inspired by the life of Celine Dion, but is a work of fiction in keeping with the filmmaker's vision. And then we get a brief moment of a woman... Aline Dieu, as we're going to learn, uh, in white sunglasses and white headphones and an all-white bed and an all-white room, and there's children sleeping around her. Then th- this chilling vision of the future <laughs> is, <Yeah. laughs> is quickly superseded by a vision of the past. An even it's qu- more chilling vision. <laughs> it's Quebec 1932. We're in a kind of rural, poor area. And so this sets the tone of a lot of the movie, which is the movie is told in a lot of montages, very mm-hmm. quick montages, where you have to – there, I've, I'll give the, the filmmaker credit. There are parts where you really have to pay close attention just to pick up what's being told in the moment. Yes. And so we see a mean farmer dad steal all but one coin from his teenage son. Then his son plays the accordion. Then suddenly he's a grown man who meets a woman who plays violin. Then they're married. He says he doesn't want to have children. But then they have 14 children, all of whom – or 13 children, almost all of whom's names start with Jean. And uh, we uh-huh. see the now suddenly we're on the wife's life. Her name's Sylvie, and she grows up to be a middle-aged middle-aged mom. And they're the Du family. And this is told in, in it's like six minutes straight of montage or something like that. It's yeah. it's really rapid, rapid fire. Yeah. Uh, it almost makes you wonder why they set the, why they start the movie this way <laughs> since uh, since it's so rapid fire and it's like the movie's just trying to sh- speed through it so they can get to the <laughs> well, birth of is- the divine Aline. One of the few parts of the movie that is uh, made with efficiency <laughs> and speed. Yes. Oh, because uh, I mean, like, this movie is—it's for a movie that is mostly made of montages. I don't want the audience to think, "Oh, so this is a quick movie." This movie's—it's uh, no, like a little more than two, two hours, hours long, and it is so. It you, there's so much of it where you're like, I don't know why they included this in here. <laughs> this is, oh no, we didn't I need think this. We need scene. to watch these characters having a conversation around a, a lovingly appointed uh, island in a kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. There's so many scenes of them eating. And yes. anyway, uh, so soon uh, Sylvie, the mother, she's pregnant again with her 14th child. She's worried about her health, but the local priest says she'll be okay. And they name the new and, baby. Yes. Well, you talk about how this is uh, – this a lot of this actually is told not uh, directly. And like this opening part was told so elliptically that both Audrey and I were like, wait a minute, wait. This she's having another child, or this is the child of one of her children. Like there was a very, yes, it was confusing, and then I looked it up. I'm like, okay, th- Celine Dion was the 14th of a very large family. I mean, like, the, I I don't you know I don't want to make any to presume anything, but the actress playing the mother also like looks too old to have a child at that point. So, so I mean, I that was, was part of her confused. worry is that her, yeah. But, yeah, that's the thing she does. They, you see, you watch her age, and she looks basically the same from this point on through the next thirty years of the movie. And so, yeah. I think they do kind of prematurely uh, age a little bit too much. But I have to admit, when it was first showing, I thought that it was showing the farmer stealing the coins from her son. Then I thought it was the farmer taking an accordion and the farmer <laughs> meeting someone. And I had to look back. I had to rewind and go, oh, no, wait, that's the, the son between cuts has aged like seven years yeah. and is now a man. And it was – so it's all – it's a little confusing at first, but don't worry. It's about to get so incredibly unconfusing as the movie yeah. becomes so literal. Uh, so they name her Aline 
Uh, now we see the Du family band playing on a little stage for a small crowd. And this is when we get our first introduction to little Eileen, uh, who at this point, they're still kind of hiding her face a little bit. She's creeping around beneath the stage watching her family play music. But mm-hmm. it's still clearly a grown-up's face that is on a on a child's body. Uh, yes. Guys, what was your first thought? I knew, We knew going into this movie that she plays this character at every age. I didn't realize how jarring it was going to be. Uh, yeah, let's 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 set the stage. Let's set the table a little bit more because, as Stuart mentioned, I believe she was like fifty-six or fifty-seven. This actress when this film was uh, being shot around she's, that age. Yeah, yeah, she was about fifty-six, I think. Yeah, <clears throat> and. The film puts her on the body of a child here at the beginning. Like so a, that's a how they do it. They do face mapping, or do they just dress her up and then shrink her? Well, some <laughs> so of it, I a little I bit like my TV or is forced yeah. perspective. Like there's some and very also, unconvincing forced and perspective. Tra- transplant, transplant uh, technology is much better in Canada than it is now. So oh, yeah, part yeah. of it, they did sure. take her head and put it on a 12 year old's body, <laughs> sure. and they swapped uh-huh. the heads back at the end of the shoot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a little scary for a while that they thought they lost the other head. But classic French Canadians. Oh, Mandu! Oh, we left it in the sugar yep. shack. Oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the, but, so the uh, but also <laughs> later on it means. Just, and I'm gonna, wait, wait, wait! I just want to jump ahead for one thing while you're dying. The, okay. That the the that later on it makes the, a big point of the movie is. This young woman cannot be in a relationship with an older man, and they look like they're the same age because because it's a woman in her fifties playing a woman in her twenties yes. at that point. And yes. I, I look well. Now we're really jumping ahead, but I wonder if that is the reason the decision was made to do it this way because otherwise, so much about the central relationship in this movie would be unacceptable <laughs> to the audience. Yeah. But but let's jump back. We'll and I'll see. just say like yeah, the actress. You know, I want to be clear. Like it's. It's both fine to look old and she looks great. But if you're trying to pretend that this woman, like pushing 60, looks like a child, even with the digital de-aging, there's a limit to what the technology can do to make this look not well, just, yes. nutty. The children and adults don't have the same shaped heads. Like there's, exactly. there's so much yeah. about there's so much about I it. See that, your, but, I, I see her. I expect her to start screaming at a high pitch to break glass. Yeah, have, uh, <laughs> be influential in World War One and Two. You know all that shit. <laughs> so the I think what this is it's it's it didn't work in the Love Guru when uh, they put Mike Myers' head on a on a child's body yeah. and it it doesn't what? really work here. Well, it uh, also doesn't work here because this movie. Well, whilst I think this movie has a certain camp edge, like I mean, this is a, a comedian in the main role. I think that there, but it's is, not a comedy movie. It's very, you know. No, I think that there's like some tinges of comedy around the sides of it, but it is played very straight. In in a comedy, doing this at least has some, like oh, like oh, the the weirdness of it is part of the point. But well, here, especially because especially because they make such a big point very soon out of. Can you believe that voice is coming out of that little girl? She's got this amazing adult voice, but she's this she's just a little girl, but she never looks like a little girl. It's like the, the yeah. choice yes. to do it undercuts everything that they're doing about it. So unless, if it's not a joke, if it was a joke, they'd be pulling it off fantastically. Just right. like well, and, but and the idea of like it adds a like definitely this like weird magical realism to it that is not helped by the fact that they named this character, who's, this character is now Aline a Dew, like, God. Like, that's yeah. wild. I, I I read that she wanted to have, to push it even further and have a scene 
where her face was on a baby's face. Her, that <laughs> would have been great. And the producer talked her out of it. And I was saying like, the producer's I wrong. No, I th- yeah, I think yeah, it that would have been the best scene better. in the movie. Yeah. If they if they had done that, at least it signals something to the audience of like, oh, I don't need to take this completely seriously. Because yeah. there's a part of me that thinks that the choice, like, of course she knows that this looks weird, but yeah, she's trying to do some sort of like fantastical element, yes. you know. But without any signal of that, the tone is so strange. It's and the well that it never it never pays off in any way. Yeah. It's not like mm-hmm. it it just doesn't it has no meaning, so it's just a strange thing. But if her face on a baby, if she didn't say le goo goo, they're leaving money yeah, on the yeah. table. There's <laughs> yeah. a point later on where they are about to introduce her to sing a song and he's like, I'm not gonna tell you her age yet. And I'm like, they're gonna be very confused. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I I still don't know. <laughs> like from the neck down she appears to be twelve, but from the neck up she's clearly in her late fifties. <laughs> Uh, so uh, she sings at a wedding. This is, she's still a kid. She sings at a wedding. Everyone's amazed at her beautiful voice. She's failing in school because she's always tired, I guess, because her family always has her out singing late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And- she's a huge draw for their, like, uh, what is it? Like a bed and breakfast that involves singing? Like it's a restaurant? What uh, Something I like couldn't, that. I was honestly, I couldn't, the movie's storytelling was elliptical enough that I couldn't, and I cared little enough that it, I couldn't mm-hmm. quite tell. Uh, but she wants to be a great singer. She's not being forced into it. She idolizes Barbara Streisand. Uh, and her mom says, you know Understandably. what? I'm going to write a song. And uh, Barbara Streisand, another woman who uh, who spent a lot of her career running from her age. So, you know, it all makes sense. Uh, her mom says, I'm going to write a song for you with your brother, Jean Bobin, and, uh, or Jean Bobin. It's one of the many Jeans. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. they mail a demo tape of 12-year-old Aileen to a big manager named Guy-Claude Camar. And he, they're like, we're going to hear back from him Tonight, and then it's like a week later, and he's like, "Tonight," and it still hasn't happened yet. So, he, so they call him, and they go, "Hey, listen to the tape and call us right back." And he calls back ten minutes later. He's got to, if it's true that a girl can sing this way, even a girl with a fifty-year-old's head, he's got to hear it in person. <laughs> he's got to meet this fifty-year-old girl. Uh, they have a big meeting for some reason. Eileen decided to go ice skating minutes before they were supposed to leave, and she forgets her shoes. Yeah. She wears her mom's shoes to the meeting, which doesn't pay off in any way whatsoever. According, according to the trivia on IMDb, this is listed as one of the uh, fictional liberties to the story of Celine Dion's <laughs> really? life. Yeah, Because yeah. when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this must have actually happened to Celine Dion or else this would be no reason. It. Could, you imagine, <laughs> could you imagine inventing this idea whole cloth, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> What well, kind of psychedelics was the screenwriter on to have imagined such an improbable it's situation? Us, it's teaching us a very important lesson about the character, which is that she's forgetful about shoes, which, of course, will play into the movie later, I guess. It's more that it's dumb and pointless, so yeah. why would well, you this, put it in? This movie is so full of incident. There's so many small incidents in this movie where you're like, what? And I'm not going to go through it's all little of them. Little moments, if, yeah. If I skip any and you guys remember them, please stop mm. me. Somebody stop me and tell me an incident. Yeah. I mean, the whole uh, second half of this movie at least i mean there's at least some narrative thrust to the like her rising career but once she's you know at the peak it's just like a list of things it's like, i would say the second hour of the movie she, there's a certain yeah. point where it's like well she's achieved it this is the end of her story she's just successful from this point and then i looked at the runtime and i was like oh there's another hour left to go <laughs> yeah so, and, and at this point the screenwriter other than the actual chronology of events, could have just written each scene on a pack of cards, thrown it up in the air, and assembled <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah, I mean, order. it's also it's a fictionalized version, so why not why not not do all of it? But juice it up. <laughs> yeah. So Aline, uh, Aline this is put the, some werewolves the, in there. Yes. Why not? <laughs> yeah, come put on. werewolves why? in the movie. 
Yeah, well, you could do why anything. Could, you could do anything, anything you want. It's fictional. Have her go back to the dinosaur era. She becomes emperor of Rome. Why not? She killed Kennedy. Who knows? She goes to them. They go, Eline, we have a show to do on the moon. And they go up there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And the so, police come and they arrest Celine Dion for killing Kennedy. And she's like, it's not, it's not, it's that's Aline. He's like, clearly it's the same person. They use your songs. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, just like you, she, the, the assassin forgot to wear her shoes to her first meeting. But <laughs> I did, I did not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, j'accuse of killing Kennedy, <laughs> Celine Dion. Yeah. But uh, oh, wow. so. Uh, her dad gives her his lucky coin, the only one that his dad didn't steal from him. And at the meeting, the manager immediately calls her Celine by accident, and they correct her. Her name is Aileen. And mm-hmm. she sings for him, and we don't hear what she sings because that's when the soundtrack plays a, a pop song. But we see that he's so he's so moved by it that he begins to cry. And uh, he has to he has to manage her. And he impresses the entire Du family, all 70 million of them, with his memory for sales figures and hockey championship wins. I do, I do really yeah. like that he – they show him crying while she's singing. And then the next scene, he's talking to a coworker, and he's like, I had to sign her. I almost cried. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> you literally cried. I saw Just, that shit. <laughs> don't try to save face, Gee. Like, we all saw it. It's in the movie. Uh, it's so cool, suddenly- man. Bad Suddenly, boys can have a soft side, and soft boys can have a bad side. And bad boys, too, can have a rat fucking another rat. Exactly. Yeah, there's, I mean, not only can it, it does and will. <laughs> That's another one of those scenes where you watch the movie and you're like, why did they do this? Why, why did they? It's, not why. Like the, it's not like someone was like, oh, there's a Martin rat Lawrence having sex with— there's a rat having sex with another rat. We yeah. gotta get it on camera. Yeah, yeah. They're clearly puppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Bay is <laughs> like, I gotta get this shit they on camera. They do it just like us. <laughs> Michael, yeah. Michael Bay's like lightning struck. We had to include it in the film. I mean, based on the fact that the guy next to me in the theater elbowed me <laughs> while laughing <laughs> when it happened, I think that it was a roaring success. Sure, and, then, yeah. and we've been friends ever since I did ever that since, today. Yeah. And that's, the, and can you imagine you, the puppeteers? Like, that's the commentary track I want for Bad Boys too. is the puppeteer <laughs> who made the rat puppets. <laughs> uh, so uh, Elaine is recording an album. At this point, she kind of always looks like a middle-aged woman, but they just talk about how amazing it is she's a kid. And she also tends to sing songs that comment on where her life is at right now very blatantly. So on t- she goes on TV and she sings a song about, I'm just a little girl. I still need my mother. Mother, I love you. I'm just a little girl. I still need my mother. That one? Yeah, that one that goes, I'm mother, just a girl I and I need you. my mom. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> yeah uh, exactly. and then the, the host is like, hey, did you, did, you, did you learn to become a singer? And she goes, no, I didn't need to. And that cuts to later. She's eating an enormous cookie sandwich. I assume they they picked – it's like an ice cream sandwich made out of the biggest cookies I've yeah. ever seen. I assume to make her look like a little kid, but it is ridiculous. This like is the screenshot. This is like Clifford. Like it becomes Clifford for a moment. <laughs> this yeah. is the one I posted on Twitter to, uh, you know, uh, try and, you know, juice up interest in this episode <laughs> <laughs> to whatever whatever fans yeah, remain on Twitter. Dan, Dan's hitting the streets. <laughs> um, but – it, yeah, because it, it looks like this is a scene where she's just on her knees with a big cookie in front of her yes, face. And they yeah, that's her, the extent, and extent of the technology. <laughs> and it, it makes me wish they had done that the whole movie and she was holding like a giant telephone, a giant comb, mm-hmm. like a, a tennis yeah. anyone, and she has a huge <laughs> racket. But, uh-huh. uh, and her geek Claude says, don't flaunt your natural gifts. People won't like it. Tell people you work really hard. 
and she's signing albums. Her dad comes by and surprises her with an album to sign and shows him she has the lucky coin. And then she goes to Paris to sing. She poses at the Eiffel Tower and backstage at the Paris show. She secretly sniffs an enormous bottle of Guy Claude's cologne. <laughs> and it's, it's so, like, I expected her to drink it. She's so enraptured by it, and the bottle, again, is enormous. I, assume, I don't know if that's how big French cologne bottles are, if it's just, again, to make her look little. But it, it's like oh, yeah, it's, it's like, like cats. Alice in Wonderland. It, <laughs> yeah, it says sniff me, and it makes you shrink. Uh, mm-hmm. they, it's like in cats, how they can never quite figure out if the cats are the size of small children or they're so tiny that they can wear rings as belts uh in like <laughs> this they can't they can't decide how big Aline is in this um before she another tv show she overhears a crew member kind of making saying she's weird looking and geek Claude assures her she's beautiful and they do an elaborate handshake that i guess they always do before she performs um which we sing- we have learned and practiced <laughs> and we will post videos of yeah uh-huh. well, yeah we gotta learn how to do this yep that's our max fun bonus pl- bonus goal for next year <laughs> to learn the Aline special handshake <laughs> Uh, if we get if we get forty thousand new and upgrading members, we'll learn that handshake. And so, so she sings wow. a love song as she gazes at her manager, and even the nasty crew guys like, oh, c'est bon. Uh, next, her manager tells her family that. So this I was scene, expecting this them scene, to be like smoking galois and wearing berets. And, yeah, yeah, they're all drinking big glasses of wine at, while at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next scene, this is the scene that most feels like a sketch from like a comedy version of this, where her manager goes to her and goes. I heard, you know who loves her her album? The Vatican. They play it all the time at yes. the Vatican. And her parents are like, the Vatican? They play it all the time at the Vatican? Jean, bon, Jean, come in here. Yes, the Vatican. They play it all the time at the Vatican. Jean goes, the Vatican? All the time at the Vatican? <laughs> the manager, all the time at the Vatican. The Vatican. And Aline comes in, they go, they play it at the Vatican. The Vatican. And they must say the Vatican... I don't know, 20 times in this sketch, in this scene. <laughs> it's, and yeah, it feels it's like very it's, silly. it's very silly. And it also, it's just, it's, it feels like they brought in Tim and Eric to like guest direct a scene. Well, <laughs> I, I forget where on the internet I read uh, this. Let him and Eric. <laughs> let it. Yeah. Let uh, him at Eric. I forget, I forget where I read this. And so it's of dubious, uh, y- y- you know, who knows whether it's true, but, uh, Supposedly, the way that French Canadians say Vatican is very funny to French people. So oh, maybe this okay. is part of what's going on here. I don't to know. To me, it honestly just sounded like they were saying Vatican over and it's over again. It's pretty funny. But, yeah. But that reminds me of I, I've talked about, I may have talked this about the, this before on the uh, Flop House. When I was in college, my mom took me and my sister and my grandmother to the Montreal Comedy Festival. And I went to, I decided to go by myself to the Best of Canada show, which my family was not interested in going to. And it was so much fun to sit through a stand up show where I got. None of the references. And it was like, <laughs> I got the jokes because, like, like I understand how jokes work. But it was just funny yeah, to hear cadence, the audience. Yeah. And the audience loved it. And then someone would be like, well, in Banff. And the audience would go nuts, you know. And the, the best part of it was there was kind of like a um, – uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, well, who's the guy? Who's the, who's the comedian that uh, is, Roy uh, is very Calhoun. annoying? No, no, no. He's a British comedian. <laughs> uh, uh, Ricky Gervais. No, no, no. The, no, the, the other night, no, the one, uh, uh, Russell Brand, sorry. There was a guy okay. who was like a Russell Brand type comedian who came up and they're like, now you know him. Here he is. And they announced him and I'd never heard of him. He walks up and the guy, a guy behind me goes, I hate this guy. And it was, I just love that <laughs> he had such a strong opinion about someone I've never heard of before. Yeah, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> so, so maybe you're right that it's, that it's just a joke on the way they say Vatican, but it's a, it's a long scene for that. 
Aline's career, it just continues to flourish under Guy's coaching. And she, to the point where she feels like it's time for her to make a, take a, take a stand, take a controversial stand. And she ends uh, one show by giving a strong statement about safe driving. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's, it, it, it again, feels like another like walk hard scene where it's like, no, I got to yes. say something at the end of the show. Be careful and drive slowly on the way home. Drive safe. <laughs> like now, I, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, biopics generally. And I feel like the ones I like the least are musical biopics. Mm. That could just be my own issue. But I feel like Walk Hard is still like the best one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is like a regional thing too, Elliot. Maybe like all the rage in Canada at the time was to drive unsafely. Like that was what was cool. It's possible. She's finally standing up to. (laughs) I guess, so if if anyone listening is from is from that region of Canada or is a huge Celine Dion fan, please write in. Tell us which of these things we're just not getting that are huge Easter eggs. Tell us about the, the donuts fans. you used to drive in the in the <laughs> parking lot outside of Celine Dion concerts. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Guy tells Sylvie, Guy is just such a hero, just such a saint throughout the movie. He tells Sylvie, mm-hmm. Aline's mom, Aline needs I think to he take a, a ponytail break from, at this point. Yeah, he take a break from performing and live her life and learn English and get her teeth fixed. And she does, and there's a long self-improvement montage sequence She's learning English. She finally gets her hair cut. And when she greets Guy at the door when he shows up, the wind being blown on her by an off-screen wind machine is obvious. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's uh, over the top on purpose. But, like, it's so yeah. over the top. Uh, but as a joke, and we find that at night, she sec- when her mom goes to bed because they share a hotel room, she secretly caresses a photo of her manager. Uh, and one morning her mom catches the photo in the bed, and Aline is like, I love him. And Sylvie confronts Guy or Guy and says, if you touch Aline, I'll kill you. A, no, a, a wrinkled old fat man like you shouldn't be with a beautiful young princess. And that's this is – the beginning of what seems like it could be a big conflict in the movie, but it nope. dies down Quick, relatively quickly resolved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't look. I, I there's obvious reasons I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I do think that we need to talk about it a little bit. Like this is so. This is true to Celine Dion's life, right? Like she, yeah, her, uh, she did marry your manager. He was much her older much than her. Older yeah. manager who like knew her as a as a a minor and all that, like stuff, and uh, and they stayed together until his death and. To some degree, I'm like, well, we can only believe Celine Dion's. You, you don't want to talk things. about it because it's your ultimate fantasy. <laughs> no, no, I'm just like, well, <laughs> look, if if she says it's okay, like I don't know what to do with that, but I don't think that it's possible at all that it was as yeah. simple and innocent as it's presented in this film. Yeah. Yeah. This, in uh, this, this film, this, it's- the, the manager of a child who then ends up marrying her. And like this, it's presented as a love story and sort of like the central narrative thrust of this movie in so much as it has any like center to it. It yeah. is the love story, which is why I wonder like, I don't know, did they make her play Aline as a kid? Because like none of that would work at all if you actually saw her as a child. I don't know. I would, it, I would say at this point she's supposed to be in her kind of like yeah. late teens. So no, no, the, no. I know, but no, but no. You but see, I will say, I will say the history yeah. in the history of movies that I would say maybe except that there is such a history in movies of much younger women and much older men to the point. Sure. Of, and and in France, what? And in France, <laughs> in France, very it much is so. less. It is less. So in, in the French language world, it is true. even more so to to a <laughs> yeah. to, to a disturbing point that I don't like and. Uh, but it's what's weird is that this is a fictionalized portrayal of Celine Dion. They did not really have permission from her. Celine Dion yeah. does not let has come came out against the movie, and yet 
she is portrayed as the most beautiful soul in the history of the world. Her manager is portrayed <laughs> as a be- as a beautiful saint who brought love and success yeah. into her life. Like everything about this, her screams, family is very charming. I, I find her family like, is charming and lovable. Apparently, Celine Dion was unhappy with with what Hicks they were portrayed as. They portrayed as like yeah. sch- scheming. But they're you know, the best characters folk, in the but. movie. Like I, I will say, like the mom in this movie, like she's putting in a great performance in this. Yeah, sure. Not, not so great movie. Like I loved her. I thought she was terrific. Yeah, yeah she's anyway. great in it. And but the I think, but it is a. It's a, something that the movie seems – and the movie seems to take it for granted, I think, that you are not going to be on the mom's side in this argument. That mm-hmm. it is clear – as we know because they end up together, this is true love and she's being uh, insensitive and intolerant. But you're right. It is something that they don't really grapple with much that he's a man who's known her since she was 12. He is in a position of real authority over her. Like he constantly coaches her on her and he's in charge of her career. And they fall in love and it's just like – and he and the is movie presented is as like, he's is presented, this the cutest he, thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's presented as extremely uninterested, as someone who is being such a gentleman and not not a, or openly uninterested. That like uh, it's just they're they're taking something that uh, it reminds me of the stories you used to hear about Elvis, where they'd be like, well, he met Priscilla when she was thirteen, but he was a gentleman and waited till she was eighteen before he <laughs> before he had sex with her. And it's like that's still creepy. <laughs> it's, still, it's still super creepy. But I remember being told that when I was a kid, as if that was the height of gentlemanly behavior. That he that mm-hmm. that even though he clearly wanted to have sex she, with this, this, with this adolescent the lowest girl, he waited. That society has presented. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess. <laughs> Case closed. But uh, it's. Yeah, it's all very – and again, if it maybe – maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe there is something about it that we're not seeing, but it does seem creepy. But that creepiness is somewhat um, – uh, is somewhat uh, – what's the word? Mitigated? Am- ameliorated, mi- uh, yeah, uh, by the fact that she is so – that she looks like a, uh, she looks like a grown-up. They look like they're the same age, yeah. yeah. They look like they're the same age, yeah. Anyway uh, – Guy says to Aline, we can't be together, a young girl and an old man. And again, this is when they most look the same age. And mm. she goes, she goes, tell me you don't love me. And he can't. He can't say it. And so she confronts her mom, and her mom has a heart attack and goes to the hospital. And meanwhile, Guy Claude has disappeared. No one knows where he is. Oh, no. Aline falls into despair. Uh, she's so sad. And just when she's about to perform at the Eurovision Song Contest, oh, no. <laughs> but backstage, he shows up. This is roughly – Four minutes of screen time, three minutes of screen time that he's gone, or something yep. like that. Like it's not, yep. it's not a. It, they really make it to be a big thing, but they don't spend a lot of time on yeah, it. Yeah, that's like Christian Grey plane crash levels of disappearance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's it's Chewbacca being dying in uh, in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, there must like, have been oh. another transport. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Chewbacca! Cut to Chewbacca's on screen. I'm okay, folks. Don't worry. It's Ray Romano as Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah, and and the whole audience is like, well. I didn't even finish my tweet about Chewbacca dying, and now he's back. I guess I'll delete my dr- – add that to drafts. I can't believe – I can't believe Chewbacca has – oh, wait, never mind. Backspace, backspace, backspace. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot about that in that in that 50 Shades of Grey I can't believe like, there was a second transport is what they have to change it to. <laughs> it seems impossible. Uh, so the uh, – the, I, I wonder if there was a cut scene where you see, where you see uh, the marketing people at Disney going, you can't kill Chewbacca. We got to – hold on a second. We make a lot of money off of Chewbacca. Bring him back. And then Chewbacca goes, oh, okay. I'll, I'll come back. That's uh, – yeah. yeah. That's what Chewbacca <laughs> sounds like when he talks. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> that's what he sounds like. So, uh, oh, my – no. Chewbacca. I mean the difference between che- – Chewbacca's on that spectrum between Ray Romano and Mr. Bean <laughs> in terms of voices. 
<laughs> and so uh, uh, she wins the Eurovi- with the, with the power of love. She wins the Eurovision Song Contest. She gets a congratulatory, or her manager gets a congratulatory call from the Prime Minister of Canada. He does not hand the phone to Celine. He just says thank you and hands and hangs up, which I thought was such a passive aggressive power move to be like, yeah. no, no, no. I talk to prime ministers. You just sit there. Um, and that night, you you guessed it, folks. Dreams can come true. They have sex for the first time. He uh-huh. leaves the room, but then he sneaks back in in his pajamas, and he says, if it's what you want, I'll be the first. And she says, the first and only. And uh, mm-hmm. we are thankfully saved from watching the lovemaking itself. The next morning, they're flirting but from I'm across sure the room. But I'm sure we can picture it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I think we can picture what it's like. They yeah. did regular style. They did doggy style. <laughs> <Okay>. Upside down <laughs> style. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and as uh, – and, uh, you know, I've never been – I've never – been a woman. You've never done so, it. <laughs> I've, I've done it, but I've never been a woman. But like the my understanding of the experience of the first time first time that women have sex is it's not always a magical transcendent experience. <laughs> and so yeah. the the fact that movies almost always, maybe ninety percent of the time, uh, present it that way is I don't know. It's a it's it's something that I wonder if women have thoughts about. So write in women of uh, listeners write into. The Flophouse, first time, colon, transcended experience, <laughs> care of Dan McCoy. Let's find out what you think. Yeah. And and if they, and also, French-Canadian people, do you do it differently? Let's find out. Mm-hmm. Right in. Because it mm-hmm. reminds me, Stuart, you were joking that they do it all these different ways. Is upside ways. down style different up in Canada? <laughs> yeah. And then just for that, fun, tell me what uh, normal um, American upside down style is. <laughs> I, well, I know, well, reminds but me, I'm... <laughs> I'm just curious. If yeah, you I, mean, know. I know all. The, I know all the styles. I know all I'm the pretty styles. Well like. it, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories about my grandmother. This is not the grandmother that went to the Just for Laughs festival. This is a different one. Okay. My uh, my my father's mother. I remember years ago. She she's since passed, but she told me when she, uh, during World War II. Dan's got a look on his face like he's about to hear a hot story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gonna like this one. This is a dangerous uh, liaison. Uh, that, oh, he's, t- he's tying he's tying a bib around his neck <laughs> to catch all the drool, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, got he's putting towels on down on the ground reason. to catch yeah. the drool. Oh, wait. Now his yeah. wait, his head is turning into a steam whistle. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the she was she was on a small uh, military transport plane. Curl my tongue back up. <laughs> During World War II, her fiance, my grandfather, was stationed in Puerto Rico. She was flying to Puerto Rico, and the only other person on board was a Frenchman. Who was for whatever? Who was a pilot? She said. Who was for some reason flying also, and that he came on to her, and she said, "Oh no, I'm so I thank you, but no, I have a fiance." And uh, what was it sixty years later? She said to me, "She goes, if there's anything I regret in life, I should have done it with that Frenchman." <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "I said, Grandma, why?" I thought that was an amazing answer. I said, uh, uh, "Grandma, why?" And she goes, "Maybe he would have done it differently." And that yeah. for decades and decades, she lived with the mystery of how French people have sex. So please, so that I can tell my grandma's ghost in a seance, <laughs> French people, write in. Tell us how you do it. Care of Dan McCoy. I'll give you his address at the end of the show. Anyway, um, anyway, Guy and Aline, they're flush with success. They're flirting across a room where they read newspapers. Aline dips a croissant in I, champagne because she's just like that, you know? I do love the newspaper. Like the pictures they use for the newspapers are very funny. <laughs> Yeah, because the pictures and, and are every, of of her victory, her victory at the Dublin yeah. singing contest, and and they're all and that, and they're all pictures of her, the actress playing Celine. So it's it just it, it for some reason that seems weirder than if they were real pictures of Celine Dion or no pictures. But mm-hmm. uh, so uh, Elise and at mom, one point she even takes the time to cut 
a little eyeball slit out of a, pic, a newspaper <laughs> yeah. that has a picture of her face. So she perfectly frames it so that she can then uh, steal glances at her uh, bow through the newspaper she's holding. Yeah, like Gromit watching that uh-huh. penguin that, that wants to steal yep. the diamond. Uh, so Eileen's mom, she still doesn't approve of the relationship. And uh, and so Eileen can't talk about it publicly. And Eileen goes on a talk show and she starts crying when she can't say who her love songs are for. But guess what? Things are about to get a little bit more okay because on her sold-out European tour, her manager, on the day that was supposed to be just her and her manager's day together, he takes out the whole staff for ice cream in Naples and he hands an ice cream cone to Aline. She takes a bite out of it and, oh, what is this in my my mouth? An engagement ring. There's an engagement ring in the ice cream. That's right. (laughs) They're going to get married. He's He's putting a ring on it. He's making it legal. Apparently, this is also fictitious. This did not happen. Again, one of those things where it's like, what kind of fucked up mind could invent this scenario, (laughs) right? I I do want to talk talk about Elliot. Was Cormac McCarthy doing some script doctoring work on this one that he came up with that twisted idea? (laughs) He announces to like the whole like, like tour entourage or whatever it is like, you know, oh, like tomorrow, he's like the best – Ice cream in the world is two and a half hours away by bus. So I've arranged like a bus to take us there tomorrow. And if I was like, oh, on my day off, you want my boss wants me to get on a bus so I can go <laughs> two and a half hours to get ice cream in Rome. To like, get ice I'm, cream. Yeah, I'm sure that we've got great ice cream here, like close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Not get on a bus for two and a half hours. And I'm, seems very excited. And I'm, I'm kind yeah. of lactose intolerant. So that trip would be bad for me the whole way. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, but if you know, if you didn't go and then if you went and you didn't eat the ice cream, you'd be fired. You would be off the yeah. tour. Immediately yeah. fired. Yeah. yeah. And she's got so many backup dancers that one less, nobody would even notice. So mm-hmm. you're just gone. Cause I assume that's, I'm glad that's what you was, in the yeah, show. I was a backup dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, they get married. Now they live in a big mansion. They say they're going to go to the beach and make their baby, which is, or make our baby, they say, which is a gross way to say it. Uh, they go on their, and so this is when I wrote my notes on their honeymoon. And somehow we're only halfway through the movie. She's already a successful singer. She's achieved love. What else is there? Uh, she got, guy is eating too much. And Aline, she has to, she, he has a, he passes out and she has to push him to the hospital on a luggage cart. And she's in such a, such a stressed out rush that her boob falls out of her dress. We don't see any of this. It is told to us in an anecdote she's telling on a talk show. Uh, so the movie has decided to take what would have been one of the more suspenseful and exciting scenes in the movie. Yes. The rush to get him to the hospital before he dies and decides to have a character relate that to us as a funny anecdote on a talk show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect storytelling. Dan, your thoughts on this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the talk show was, seemed like it was pretty fun. Like, like she was having a good time. But yeah, I think as a movie, we probably could have done with uh, any sort of incident yeah. rather than. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like the filmmaker <laughs> leaned into. Yeah. yeah, she like leaned into her Mike Flanagan instinct where she's like, this will be way better as told through monologue instead mm. of showing you shit, <laughs> nerds. <laughs> She goes, how would how would the late Spalding Gray handle this this scene? <laughs> so uh the uh she uh where were we? All right, in the limo back after the talk show, guy says, If I die, please promise to keep performing. And she and you know, like Sisyphus, you can you can never stop pushing that boulder up the hill. And she says, Yes, but never talk about dying again. 
Uh, she's having trouble getting pregnant. She also has this grueling performance and publicity schedule, and uh, she's singing all by myself on stage, and she has to stop mid-song because of trouble with her vocal cords, and the audience sings one of her own songs back to her. It's a touching moment. Would have been a beautiful climax to the film. No, there's still about 50 minutes left. Uh, her doctor tells her to get your voice back. Do you like coffee? Yes. Do you like ice cream? Yes. Do you talk on the phone? Every day to my mom. Don't do any of those things. You've got to save your voice. And she, and then eventually it's not working and he goes, you know what? Just stop talking for three months. <laughs> uh, she also starts taking fertility treatments uh, and uh, she has to take, you know, hormone shots in her butt and stuff like that. Eventually three, uh, and this must be a hard time, right? It must be the crux of the film. No, it, it's told through uh, the visual of the napkins she uses to write on because she can't talk. The stack just gets shorter and shorter. Three months <laughs> have passed. She starts singing again. Uh, there's, and, also, there's also there's also a scene where she's apparently fine. So yeah, there's a scene yeah, where she she's fine. Her voice is back. She can't talk to her mom, so she calls her mom and just does like Morse code through the phone using yeah, a I was spoon. Like, and then like two scenes later, they mention uh, a character mentions getting broken up with over text, and I'm like, she could have just texted her mom. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, this Morse code thing. Now, uh, I don't know. Unless, well, I think there's more time between those two knew, scenes because this is pre-Titanic, so I think texting was still not that that big at the time. Yeah, but, but say texting off the table, unless they knew Morse code prior, <laughs> they have become well versed very quickly. Yeah, well, the, I, I, it's it's the kind of you know they're very smart people who have a lot of it, different interests. Maybe Morse code is they something they already know. Uh, mm -hmm. so her guy plays her an instrumental demo of my heart will go on and she hates it. And he mm -hmm. goes, well, why don't you just sing a demo? And she goes, okay, that is pretty much the end of the story of the creation of her, her at least to me, her most well-known famous <laughs> song. <laughs> like they, yeah. they skip straight from that. The, the next time we hear about it, she's at the Oscars. So she starts, so here's when she starts crying at a photo shoot and, and then her makeup guy, Fred, uh, consoles her and goes, oh, I, I was crying all the way here. I was dumped, uh, be, I think uh, on the wet on the plane. I think maybe he does say by text. So and yes. so they went around the same time, and he becomes her new confidant. We finally have a new character in the movie. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and then we watch her do a photo shoot for a while. And this is the part that felt the most like I'm watching an <laughs> SNL sketch about Celine Dion while she like mm -hmm. hams it up and vamps in these in these photo uh, poses for a long time. Yeah, well, that's one of the. I mean, I think that I, I think that uh, the actress, the the director, writer, you know, the star of this film captures Celine Dion's Valerie like, Messier. Yeah, sort of feckless doesn't doesn't give a shit dorkiness. Like she like knows she's kind of like. I don't know, like a goof, and like she's like, oh, I'll, I'll dance around like this, like badly, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just fun. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think if the movie was not, if this wasn't a birth to the moment the movie came out, total chronology story. I think there would be yeah. like a fun kind of funny tongue in cheek Celine Dion bi biopic, but that's not what she's doing. She wants. She's yeah. putting a little bit of. She's playing a kind of a character who can be goofy in a movie that's otherwise fairly serious. And guess what? It has to be because we're at the Oscars now, everybody. Mm. Which are they can't. They didn't get the rights, I guess, to show the actual Oscar statue, which is copyrighted by the Academy. And so they have a fake. They have a stand-in fake statue when they could have just as easily not shown <laughs> not shown a statue. Uh, Eileen performs. My heart will go on there, and it feels. Here's the thing that feels weird: is they went to the trouble of licensing. My heart will go on, but not paying to get a real to show what a real Oscar looks like. It's, they, I guess they need it. They couldn't do without it. Uh, Eileen performs at the backstage. Her manager is like, hey, 
and her now husband is like, hey, some fans are here. And she goes, oh, not yet, not yet. It's her parents that showed up. They ca- they came to surprise her. Uh, Gee, Can you fucking Rachel believe thing. it? Can you believe it? Yeah. Loving you? parents who have been supportive <laughs> through the entire film and her greatest triumph. <laughs> and I didn't she see still that coming. Has, and she shows that she still has her dad's lucky coin, a high point of her life. Her parents there to, to be at this big success. Could be the end of the movie. No, Could be because the end we've of got the to learn about Guy's diet. He's eating carrot puree while she eats hamburgers and fries. She gets some news <laughs> on the phone, and she writes BB in his carrot puree for baby. And she goes, I'm three months pregnant. And it's like, well, usually the husband knows before three months. Like three months is when you tell other people. But usually, like, I, it, at least in the case of when both times my wife is pregnant, I knew when she knew. Like, we, she didn't keep it a secret from me. Or maybe the doctor's yeah, there yeah. and held off for three You're months. You're like, I don't normally, know. normally when she wakes up, she shotguns straight vodka, but she stopped <laughs> doing that. <laughs> How strange. I've got to figure out why. This doesn't make any sense. She, she, she's no longer doing belly flops right into that, <laughs> right into the Twitch convention foam pit. I don't know. Why did she stop yep, doing that? No longer injecting ketamine directly into her uterus. Uh-huh. <laughs> I understand. I got to do I – mean, I'm not a Sherlock Holmes or a Slylock Fox. I can't figure this one out. Uh, when we watch Baby's Day Out, she seems concerned as opposed to <laughs> laughing the whole time. <laughs> laughing and saying, look at that La- stupid baby. As I hope a- it falls. <laughs> <laughs> Every time the baby evaded danger, she, she's not snapping her fingers and going, nuts, thought we had him that time. Curses. Like before. Foiled again. <laughs> when, when she sees fat bastard chasing Mini-Me around, she, <laughs> she tuts and shakes her head and says, I don't think so. I don't find that funny, she says. <laughs> Whereas As previously, to, previously, she found she it said, mildly eat, amusing. She would say, eat that bastard. Eat him up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> this, so, uh, this has been signs your wife is pregnant. <laughs> had a, your the, wife the may be pregnant if flop house <laughs> yeah, yeah. cabaret bit that we've <laughs> we of course owned in the in New York in the sixties. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time. So uh, the, the, her news, her family news, is all over the TV, and her mom is offended at the way the TV anchors gossip and and make light of Aline's uh, family and rich lifestyle. But Aline is – she's very conspicuously consuming. She buys a 40-room Vegas mega mansion that she gets lost in. Uh, and mm-hmm. now you're like, okay, and she's going to have a son. Montage, there's a baby. Mm-hmm. Her son grows up. Her son is now like five. She's torn between work and family. <clears throat> but the movie – it's one of these movies where the life of her family is sped through in montages. But the moment when she gets into a makeup chair and her food is cold, so she heats it up with a hairdryer – we take our time with that moment. We got it. We've got yeah, to register yeah. that. And I don't the, know, but I'm willing to bet that they... might be another fictional invention. I don't know. I don't know if it's a famous Celine Dion parable. The parable yeah, of the, the cold I mean, meal. And the movie also shows her kid has some PS4 games, and this was long before the PS4 yeah. was released. So it's like, did she invent the PS4? Because they should have included that in the movie. Would have been a big story point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus they don't even zoom in on what the games are so we can see. Yeah, we don't yeah. know what games they're playing. <laughs> Uh, like what is so that's why I give this movie thumbs down not fresh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, where were we okay so yeah she's got a kid now uh, during one show uh, she accidentally learns right before going on stage that her father died but the movie just keeps going on much like her yeah. heart mm-hmm. uh, yep. The she finishes her Vegas, res, Vegas residency takes her family on a performing trip. Her son gets to see her perform to a stadium in France. And there was one point, again, this is, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be a joke or not. She comes out on stage and the audience goes, 
ha! And the wind that pushes her back almost knocks her over. And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be yeah. a joke or not. Um, I've never performed in front of a stadium full of people. I don't know if you're constantly yeah. fighting the exhalations <laughs> because they're of such force that you that they could mm-hmm. knock you Got right that. over. Again, Flophouse listeners, um, you know, do what you can, promote the show so we can get popular enough to do an arena show and, yeah. t- and myth bust this ourselves. Uh-huh. Or if you are listening and you have performed for an arena, let us know your experience. Thanks. I know that Keith I mean, Richards is a listener. Ke- we get famous, but sure. <laughs> that's true. But Ke- Keith Richards, I know you love the show. Tell us what it's like to perform before an arena, if that's the truth, or performing mm-hmm. for a million people in Rio or whatever happened. But yeah, it would be better if we. I would love for us to move up to arena shows, maybe just for one show. I feel like that might be too big a scale for what we yeah, actually and then, do. Huh? Like the Beatles, we'd be like, ugh, no one can even hear her. Our bits. That's yeah. what, that's what yeah. the Beatles called their songs. <laughs> the Beatles. Their songs, they called them bits. Well, originally they were called the Beatles. <laughs> and it was yeah. do that bit about the octopus's garden, they'd say. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that they were called the Beatles, and then they mm. were performing in Germany, and the German announcer says, and now the Beatles, and everyone thought it was Beatles. <laughs> yeah. But it was really was saying Beatles, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although that is something – I've actually heard that is why uh, acting beats are called beats, like character – because uh, – my, the story I heard was that Stanislavski, Stanislavski wanted to call them bits, but in his accent, it sounded like beats when he came to oh. the United States. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's the story I heard. Who knows if it's true Theater or not? Theater history. Much like Celine Dion and Aline do, it may be, it may be a beautiful reality twisted into a strange and horrifying fiction. So anyway. Um, so we get a bunch of shots of her performing. A lot of her basically walking onto stage in classic Celine Dion outfits, which this is a moment where I'm like, did she make this movie just so she could – Put on a bunch of cool clothes because I yeah, mean that's, that's not to, the worst thing to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah, uh, she's on it. Here's one of one of the stranger moments. She's on a private jet plane and suddenly she's stealing her family's food. She has to shovel it in her mouth so much she's so hungry and she faints yes. because she's pregnant with twins. And I, you know, I'm a twin. I have to ask my mom if she would just suddenly get so hungry that she would just start stealing food from other people mm-hmm. and slamming it into her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, then. Montage. She has the babies. They grow up and so on. Aline is stressed out. She misses her mom and the simple life. Meanwhile, Guy's health is failing. He has to watch her concerts from a hospital bed. And then he dies while they're doing yeah. their special handshake. And his cancer is also treated – like speaking of like the family being shunted into the background, his tr- cancer is treated so elliptically by the film that it's never yes. really said outright unless I m- missed it. Like it's no, just it's like – Here's the thing is – Everything is kind of shunted into the background. Very little in the movie is told so straightforwardly that you're like, ah, this is what the movie's about. It feels like, um, it really feels like a greatest hits. Like they, it feels like they took a TV show called Eileen and they chopped it up and made it and compressed it into a movie. Like they, mm-hmm. they used to do with Japanese TV shows where they released in the United States as an edited down movie. That's what it feels like. And so, but you're right. You're kind of not sure what he died of. Uh, and they do their special handshake, but he doesn't finish it. She's sad at their funeral. There's a sad version of Elvis playing Love Me Tender, I think, mm-hmm. over the over the funeral, right? Um, and then, uh, but Aline soldiers on because the movie can't stop, can it? No, of course it can't stop. <laughs> it's it's the never-ending story. Uh, her kids are out of town, so she asks Fred, the makeup man, if she can stay at his place after her show. And she talks about how she's never been outside in Las Vegas in all the 14 years that she's lived there. Um, and while she's sleeping at Fred's house, she dreams that Guy's ghost shows up. Again, he died two scenes ago, that or mm-hmm. three scenes ago. The ghost shows up and is like, hey, I'm doing fine, so just do what you want. <laughs> That's basically the message. Mm. She wakes up, and before Fred wakes up, she sneaks out of the apartment and just walks around Las Vegas encountering people. Finally, she's like a normal person, some Elvis and impersonators. And I'm walking in Vegas. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> some Elvis impersonators think that she is an alien impersonator, and they give her some fairly unflattering advice. Uh, two tourists ask for her to take a picture, not with her, just of them, and they're standing in front of her yep. billboard, and they don't even recognize finally. her. Yeah, finally. Anonymity. And uh, she misses her show, and it has to be canceled. And then she's just on, and then it cuts to kind of a dream musical moment where she's on stage and she sings a song about how she always wanted to sing, and it's her life is difficult, and there's so many things in the world. And apparently, this is a real song I think called "Ordinaire," uh, and she's just an ordinary woman. And then when she finishes the song, the movie's over. And again, yeah. the, and the main actress, she is not actually singing; it's all lip syncing. So. It is the last scene, much like uh, the Academy Award-winning scene in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody where uh, where Freddie Mercury just sings and it's lip-synced to. Uh, that's just what this ending is. She's just lip-syncing the yeah. song, and then the movie's over. And it's just I, we've run out of Celine Dion's life to tell, so the movie has to end. I want to talk about something that I found online. Apparently there's a <laughs> – uh oh! <laughs> no, what, no. What, shit! Uh, is related. This, uh, related. Let me put words in the cough with button a so I can hold that shit down. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't believe the way she takes care of her children. <laughs> anyway, um, no, no, it's a apparently a very you know famous like clip of Celine Dion is out there. Her first performance in Vegas, like after she came back after her. Husband died, and she's mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. she's singing all by myself, and like a, a song that must have whole new meaning to her all by myself, and and is you know struggling with emotions to get through it, but gets through it. And you know, I haven't, I didn't like, I was just reading about the clip. I haven't seen it, but it sounds like it would be very affecting. You weren't gonna go that far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'll, I'll probably look, but um, but it's just weird. It's weird to me. This is a song. That is in the movie earlier, yes. but instead they don't end with that song, which would put a bow on, again, arguably the only real through line for the whole movie is like this, quote, love story of them. Like, And All By Myself would be such an emotional ending, but instead they sing. she sings a song that's just about how she loves to sing and like she doesn't care what her critics think. She does it for the public, which is not really a theme of the film otherwise. Like there's some acknowledgement that she's not like believed to be like, like critics don't like her, but like very little, you know, it's a strange thing. Like this is the, if you're going to end with a whole song, you know, like, which went on long enough for me to be like, come on, movie, stop it. <laughs> like, make it something relevant. Like, have it sum up the film in some way. And it's mm-hmm. such a strange choice. I mean, it's, it sums up, yeah, it sums up the themes of her life, but not necessarily the ones that the movie highlights. Well, because the movie is not, it's not telling a coherent, focused story. You know, instead of yeah. saying, here's the, th- here's the thrust of her life, or here's what we're going to emphasize in her life, it's just kind of like, Read me Celine Dion's diaries, and then we'll just kind of put it on screen, and we'll every now and then we'll add in a little bit of fictional stuff. Now, here's my question. Looking up online, there was, a, I guess, an official Celine Dion biopic in 2008 called Celine, and maybe that one – and it's only an hour and a half long. Maybe that one stole the idea of structure and storytelling, and, oh, yeah, yeah. and so this one was like, we're going to do things differently. We're just going to have – because there are there – are, I have to say, like – there are times when, when the movie goes into montage and just kind of skips through things. There are times when I liked the idea of like, I've got to catch up. I don't know Celine Dion's life story. I got to infer it. But otherwise, the yeah. movie is such a shapeless bag, you know. It feels I a mean, little bit like trying to go to sleep on an air mattress. 
I mean, like this is it. I mean, this movie suffers from one of the uh, like one of the problems that I think a lot of biopics run into, which is like not having any kind of point of view whatsoever and simply just yeah. trying to tell the entirety of somebody's life as opposed to like generally it's best to focus on a very specific event or a snippet or, uh, you know, if especially if you're going to fictionalize it, why not make it more interesting? So much of this is just like watching a rich person hang out in their fucking giant mansion that they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so final judgments, whether this is a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie or a movie kind of liked, um, my cat is dreaming in front of me. It's very cute. Archie is twi twitching like crazy. Um, I don't know. This is one that really defies a lot for me because like mm. I kind of, cause you related to it so much. I mean, there's stuff like the thing is like there's stuff in as, here. Well, that as a public figure, Dan, as a public figure <laughs> whose search for love was very much done in the in the in the press's eye, in yeah, the public eye, yeah. I know. I look starring Joe Pesci. There is stuff in here that legit worked for me. Like, not that I thought it was particularly interesting, but I'm like, oh, these like <laughs> actors are like putting in good performers, and it's kind of fun to see like this like Cliff's Notes on someone that I don't know anything about. Uh -huh. But all of that is so overshadowed by the weirdness of like one specific choice and a choice that like is gone halfway through the movie, but still like casts a long shadow <laughs> over the rest of it. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm going to say good, bad, but maybe just watch the first hour and you've gotten enough of it <laughs> and then stop. Uh, what do you guys have to say? I feel like if you're going to do the silly stuff, I feel like the movie, like I missed it at when it was gone, when it was just yeah. like a boring, very dry. It's a movie where there's like, like, like you said, like each time there's any kind of conflict or any kind of setback, it's resolved in like two or three minutes. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing like, I'm never like worried at any point in the movie. I'm not like, oh, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it manages to, despite having some kind of interesting scenes and some interesting performances, it just ends up being very bland. Yeah. It's very, so, it's, it, so, so it's I bad. Would, bad, bad. That's a bad, bad I would, movie. I would also call it bad. I feel like there's a good, there's a good version of this movie. And that is essentially Coal Miner's Daughter, which is also about a, a woman who comes from a poor rural background and through music becomes a huge star and, and it's the, very the much about the secret there was but the secret there was they put a woman's head on a baby's body. <laughs> the secret there, yes, that when Loretta, when Loretta Lynn is a baby, <laughs> Sissy Spacek's head is on her body. But I think but that's but it's a much more even that which is still a kind of like relatively full life story is still told with a like a focus and a thrust and it helps that I love Loretta Lynn's music so much more than Celine Dion's uh, I'm still getting over her, her recent passing but uh, the like there's a way to do this movie but you gotta choose your moments and they just don't do it so yeah it, it, I bad because there's this weird energy that's running through the first like third of the movie and that energy is a grown up playing a kid and her family because her family is the most fun part of the movie like there's how there's tons of siblings and they're all a little yep. goofy and her mom is is such a big character and all yeah. those all of that kind of falls away and eventually just becomes almost like an acted out documentary about Celine Dion which is not to my taste so yeah, yeah I would say a day in the life exactly 
So uh, if you want, so I guess maybe just read one of the many, many great biographies of Celine Dion. Uh, there, I think there was one that won the Nobel Prize. Go read that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, I I leaned Dan, back at an inopportune time. When Dan I had, to, had to text. He had to text a French hairdresser swoop. that he was breaking up with him. I was <laughs> taking notes on. Thanks to uh, brutal. To 15 years. Tweak in the edit. <laughs> 15 years. Um, and to break up by text after 15 years, when uh, <laughs> and he's on his way to a job, one of the biggest jobs of his career. Mm-hmm. You know what? what? Who does that? <laughs> who who te- who doesn't who who breaks up with a with a person or group of people without any warning whatsoever after years together? Who does Somebody something like that? Not worth your time. <laughs> exactly. Uh Stuart, you've probably heard about microdosing. Yep. Well, if not, well, oh, you answered. Uh, we have. But if you if you were a person who hadn't heard about it, then you should know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses, or, not, or entry-loses, uh, that's the hip, <laughs> faster way of saying that, of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Um, you know, if you want to... Watch a movie maybe where someone's face is mapped onto a small child. I'm not going to tell you that a microdose gummy isn't going to make that a better experience. True. Um, so you know what? Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FLOP. That's F-L-O-P to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description. But again, that is microdose.com, code FLOP. Uh, any other uh, in-house plugs? As always, I will plug my two businesses. That's right, Hinterlands Bar and Minnie's Bar, both located in Brooklyn, New York. Come by, have a drink. Uh, you know, support local business. Support your favorite podcaster. Mm-hmm. And I will also plug my other podcast, the Who Was Podcast. It's a quiz show for kids on iHeartRadio, but also available wherever podcasts are available. Two kids come on and answer questions about two historical figures, and we have a lot of fun with very silly stuff. The recent episodes have gotten very silly. So if you have a children or you like children and, have a children? and want to attract them to your house uh, by blasting this through loudspeakers out your windows, or if you have the mind of a child, just listen to the Who Was podcast. And also, guess who's back in town? That's right. Who? The Maniac of New York in oh. Maniac Yay! of New York. Don't call it a comeback. Number one coming out December 7th. That's right. Halloween is all, is by the time you listen to this, Halloween will be over, but we can be spooky all year round, even in the Christmas time era. So, uh-huh. Maniac of New York, don't call it a comeback. Number one comes out December 7th, and then there's three more issues after that coming out each month. And Dan, I have some interesting, I have an interesting Celine Dion trivia right here. Oh, okay. I realize My Heart Will Go On is the second best selling physical single by a woman ever. The number one best-selling single, physical single by wait, women wait, is, wait, of course— Wait, 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 I bet fuck. you can guess it. Oh, fuck. Uh, it's— what? Oh, God damn it. Whitney Houston? Yes. Uh, bodyguard soundtrack song? Yeah. What's the name of the song, though? <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, God damn it. It's— Oh, God. Dolly it's, Parton would be so ashamed I will ashamed always love you. you. Okay. Yes, I will always love you. But oh. what seems strange to me, I'm looking at the list oh, right I now— and we could, Guys, I did I'm looking it. At, I think I, I'm looking I think at, hurt myself. You did it. No, I'm looking at, don't, you stretch, you I really pulled, pull something. I, I pulled a muscle, yeah. I, I'm she looking all, at the list. Uh, Celine Dion was also the, like the biggest earner overall from like 2000 to 2010 in all of entertainment or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, she makes, I mean, she makes a huge amount of money. It was insane. But, 
But this is what struck me as strange. I'm looking at the Wikipedia list of best-selling physical singles, pre-digital, best-selling where someone had to buy a physical record. And strangely enough, both of those songs, I Will Always Love You and My Heart Will Go On, they both are below Mungo Jerry's In the Summertime, although it says Disputed. <laughs> and that is a dumb song. That song is That's a terrible. dumb. It's an awful <laughs> yeah, song. My wife gets so mad at that song every time it comes on. She complains about it to anyone within listening distance. She'll like grab people by the arm and drag them over so she can explain I've how never shitty felt it is. Closer to Charlene, yeah, to, to hear this. <laughs> so Ugh. I don't know who is out there buying all these physical copies of "In the Summertime," a truly loathsome song. But <laughs> you know what? Stop. <laughs> Just stop doing it. Lisa Hannawaltz. And I'm Emily Heller. Wow, Emily, we've been doing this podcast for 10 years. I know, but hey, don't worry. You can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff. Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right. Trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. Just kidding. (laughs) Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything, but we're a good hang. Baby Geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, Yeah, completely. Our our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, hey, let's, uh, let's talk letters. Uh, yeah, why not? You, you write to us sometimes and then we respond. Uh, there would be an easier way of doing it without the middleman of the podcast. But it's less about the communication, more about creating content. content yeah, it's all about content. You know? Uh, anyway, so that's that explains the premise of reading letters on a show. Cool. And uh, this, first but if you wanted was... to hear it express, if you wanted to hear it explained in song form, <laughs> near, far, wherever you are, your letters will reach us if you send them. Mm-hmm. If you don't. You just write them and keep them. We won't get any of your letters. They won't Mm -hmm. come on. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Uh, I didn't think he could hold the note, but he did it. Frank, last name (laughs) withheld. I mean, I tried. The note was squirming and trying to get out of my grip the entire Mm -hmm. time, so I barely held it. Frank Hennenlauter, I'm assuming. Uh, (laughs) I was listening to some old episodes, and 10 Cloverfield Lane was a recommendation. It got me thinking about the Cloverfield movies and how they are the perfect type of scary movie I like. Some jump, but mostly suspense, cool monster, and not just about a murderer. But the first Cloverfield movie uh, so, derailed... Okay, then I guess don't read Maniac of New York. Don't call it a comeback. Thanks for nothing, I mean, Frank. <laughs> the monster in Cloverfield's basically just a murderer. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, just a really Who's big the one. Re- 
Who's the real monster, Stuart? After all the damage we've done to the Earth? Hmm? Makes you think. True. No, yeah. you're right. You're actually yeah. right. The, the first Cloverfield movie. <laughs> they, what dra- if the movie ended? They go, <laughs> it turns out the true monster was the Cloverfield. Yeah, well, that's what we thought. <laughs> <laughs> the first Cloverfield movie derailed the whole franchise for me with two shots. My wife worked at 20 Exchange Place, the building where Inside Man was filmed, about 2,000 feet from ground what? zero, and her dad worked on Wall Street. They were both at work at 9-11 and had to evacuate across the Brooklyn Bridge, having no idea where the other one was. In Cloverfield, when the monster attacks the city, there are a couple of specific shots where the destruction footage was basically lifted directly from news footage of 9-11. She almost walked out but stuck it out. However, those shots soured the experience for both of us. Have any of you had a movie that you know you otherwise should have liked, but where a single shot, scene, or event hit a little too close to home and ruined the whole thing? Frank, last name withheld. Uh, you guys have any? Yeah, it's actually funny because Cloverfield was, I remember seeing it in the theater shortly after the blackout in New York. And I remember the behavior of New Yorkers during that blackout was so like chill and supportive mostly. Like, I feel like everybody was like, okay, lights are out, there's no power. And like people were at, you know, were partying outside, but it was relatively chill, at least in lower Manhattan. And, uh, but in Cloverfield, it's like, as soon as stuff happens, people immediately start looting everything. And I'm like, that doesn't seem accurate to the New York that I uh, now live in. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I, I like. I was about to answer the question, then I then I was. I I found myself pausing, thinking, "Did Stewart answer the question?" <laughs> <laughs> but I'll I stop mean, calling I, him out and give my answer, which is that uh, Stewart's face right now. He's just <laughs> he is not he is not happy, staring angrily off into the middle distance. Um, no, I mean, I think that. Part of the thing He's is trying like, to find a hitman on the dark web to kill <laughs> Dan McCoy. <laughs> kill me? Why wouldn't you just hire someone to like punch me or something? It seems oh, it seems like a lot of work to go onto the dark web just to punch <laughs> me. I mean, but. He could do that himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, like the thing is, I don't know that I've had. <laughs> there's, somebody, there's somebody. That's a funny sketch. Is someone's they, they contact a hitman on the dark web? How much does it cost? I hate my boss. How much does it cost to kill him? $100,000. Ooh, that's steep. What about just to punch him in the face? Uh, I don't know, like $400? Yeah, let's just do that. Let's just do that. <laughs> I'm going to uh, anger Stuart even more by not, by not precisely answering it uh, after making such fun of him. Um, <laughs> wow. Because I, I've been fortunate enough not to have, like, I think a big enough trauma that, like, I have that reaction to a moment in movies. It's more of a, the classic, like, that's not what it's like thing that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw Late Night, the Mindy Kaling movie about working on a late night comedy show, and I was like, I think if I was a normal person, I would find this, uh, like, totally pleasant. But as someone who has done this for a decade, it baffles me how incredibly wrong everything is, especially from someone who works in television. Uh, so that's a slightly different thing, but it's what my, where my mind went. Here I lie, bleeding and broken from Dan's vicious barbs. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, does Dan answer the question accurately? No, no one <laughs> no. cares. It appears that it appears that some animals are more equal than others. There's two <laughs> sets of laws for answering questions. 
Uh, I will answer the question not exactly, but I think closer than either of you did. Which <laughs> see, is, that's, uh, that, that we're ramping up. That's see, yeah. it, it added yeah, up yeah. to a pattern. <laughs> sure, that's, that's the secret <laughs> behind jokes. Uh, the uh, it's all wheels within wheels. Uh, so. I, I don't know that I've had a movie – there are probably movies that kind of hit – I feel like there's movies that have kind of like nerd characters, angry nerd characters who are a little too close to the bad side of my personality. And so I didn't like – I could – was repelled mm-hmm. from those movies. But what I want to say is this is not the exact thing but because these are not movies that I never liked or, but, or that were ruined for me. But uh, this is a very sad story that years ago a coworker of mine died and the method of their death – was kind of in a in a way reflected by scenes in two movies that I saw in the theater shortly thereafter, and I found myself really having tra- these are and one was a movie I had seen many times before that I was seeing in a revival house on one of my it was a very early date with a woman who's now my wife, and the other was a movie I hadn't seen before, but it was a remake of so, so I kind of knew this kind of thing was in it, but I didn't expect to it was for some reason I didn't expect a real event to be mirrored that way in a fictional event in a way that really hurt me in the moment. And I've had a lot of trouble staying and sitting through those movies. Now, I love movies, so I ended up just pushing my way through it. But it made it very difficult. And so I feel like that was – I would tell the story in more detail, but I kind of feel like I don't want to bring the yeah, rest of the, sure. the episode down. But I but I get what you're saying that uh, there's something in it that in, – and in the case of Cloverfield, they're very much playing off of those memories in the same way that the Spielberg War of the Worlds – they're very much playing off of September 11th, and when I saw that, it made the movie more frightening to me. I was like, this is much more frightening than I thought this movie was going to be because I remember mm-hmm. that that day, and I remember the ways it mirrored this. But just that, like, you can be watching and you're something— like, I- I don't believe that Tom Cruise is a union stevedore, but well, I guess I'll go along with it. <laughs> the, and, also, and also the fact that at the very end, they're like— we're reunited. It's a happy ending, and it was like, oh, uh, <laughs> like a lot of people died in this movie. But uh, the not to mention but, all the aliens, and yeah. The, yeah, not to mention those poor aliens. Uh, so, but that but that idea that you can be watching something and it can make a connection in your mind, either advertently or inadvertently, that affects you emotionally and kind of makes it throws casts a different light on the experience. I get what you're saying. Both of those movies that I watched in that situation, they which were. Vertigo and and the Peter Jackson King Kong. Both of those I later watched again, and it, I think because it was farther from the original event, mm-hmm. they did yeah. not have as much of that effect on me. But in a way, the memory of that mo- those movies are both not stained, but there's always that. Uh, it's you know it's a little bit like the the crystal and dark crystal get it, it gets one of the shards darkens you know at different points, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost like that. It added a different emotional level to that those movies that I did not expect going in. Um, but thankfully didn't ruin either of them because Vertigo, I think, is a brilliant movie that I love. And the Peter Jackson King Kong is a fun movie that's just way too long. Uh, this next letter is from Patrick, uh, last name withheld, host of the original cast uh, podcast. Or... Not familiar. Yeah. Um, this is this <laughs> Just goes, kidding. Hey, Peaches, I'm teaching screenwriting to grad student playwrights this spring at University Withheld. The course focuses on story structure, so I'm giving the students movies to watch on their own and then break down their beats. We've got a good mix of classics like The Apartment and Casablanca mixed with more modern films like uh-huh. Minari and Everything Everywhere All at Once. The problem is I'd like to throw some genre films in the mix, especially horror, but I'm sorely lacking in this department. I've got action films covered, Die Hard and Shaft's Big Score, but no horror other than The Silence of the Lambs. 
Can you guys recommend some horror and or sci-fi films that are great examples of story structure for my students? Love the show. Patrick, last name withheld. Um, I'm going to jump right in there. I think, obviously, the original Castle Freak. Uh, <laughs> that, follow that up with Head of the Family. Your students will freak. Top that off with The Invisible Maniac, uh, which I think Vinegar Syndrome is just putting out a Blu-ray of. Though we are not, this isn't a plug. That's not a sponsor thing. And uh, then if you can track it down, why not watch The Granny? There's four movies. Boom. <laughs> Class dismissed. Um, are you dismissing am, class before they watch the movies? Uh-huh, well, they got to go, go home to watch the movies. Yeah, they got to watch the class. Movie. Oh, okay, fair, fair point, fair point. Uh, uh, watch the movies on their iPhones in the middle of class. Like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> I. So here's other answers. Um, a- Alien, I think, is probably a that's, pretty good that's one. That's my number one, yeah, that I was going to say I, I think that, I mean, there's, the thing is, like, it depends on what you're looking for because there's stuff where it's like, oh, I want to teach you sort of a classic screenwriting stu- structure or I want to tre- teach you something that subverts it or plays with it in some way. Because like even something like Alien, which is, I think, very carefully structured, like, you know, if you were seeing that for the first time, you wouldn't know who the hero is at the beginning of the movie. You you, you know, you, people watching it for the first time probably by default were like, okay, Tom Skerritt is our hero in this film. And then uh, Sigourney Weaver is the survivor, you, you, you know? So it doesn't do kind of some of the stuff that people would tell you to do today, maybe in terms of like really establishing like a, a clear focus, but it's all the better for it. Elliot's looking at me quizzically, but I think, I think that, I mean, I think, I think that that's, that I don't know that that's necessary. I think, uh, no, no, it's just a different, different idea of what good structure yeah. is. I think. Yeah. I think that, Alien is a, is to me is a great structure for plot wise because of the way it builds on scenarios and it does and literally Dan O'Bannon there's a there's a book on his screenplay structure where the idea is to keep kind of like shocking or surprising the audience in builds so that mm-hmm. um, they can't get too comfortable but also there's always something new coming up to kind of keep pulling them through it and I think the way that Alien I think Alien is a basically as far as that kind of movie can go. It's basically perfect. Like I don't, there's, yeah. it's hard for me to think of anything that you could change in it, other than well, I, w- I guess allowing Sigourney Weaver to keep her pants on at the end. But the- I want to clarify that I'm not saying it's bad structure. I'm just saying that in a teaching situation, often you're looking for something that kind of is like the like I don't know. Like the, this is the er structure, you know, and like things that deviate from it in one way or other. Just like you got to call that out. You know, but like I think that Alien is all the richer for not making a clear sort of telegraphed like this is our survivor at the beginning. I think it's the difference between uh, what I guess it depends. Yeah, what you mean by structure? I mean if it's the if it's the like Robert McKee type structure, then it should have started with Ripley leaving her house, high-fiving a black person to show that she's cool and mm-hmm. we can like her. She should have she saved saves, that cat at the beginning of the movie. Exactly, the saves end. the cat at the beginning <laughs> so we know she's good, and then we can follow her through the rest of it. But I, then you're also not going to like Dan, the other movie I was going to mention, which is The Thing, mm. which I think is also just a re- is a really well-structured movie because if you, look at, it's, if you don't assume that structure has to be let me introduce my protagonist. Let me introduce why they're likable. Let me then follow them clearly and, and follow only their character arc. If instead you're looking stru- at structure as um, how you lay in information dramatically and then pay it off dramatically for like a satisfying story experience, I think both of those movies do that 
incredibly well. Yeah. And they do it in a way that uh, I think an alien Ripley is not necessarily like the – she's – again, by the end, she's the hero, but not necessarily the main character. But at the same time, even though it's not made super clear, if you watch it again afterwards, it's very clear where she stands in relation with the other people there and why she stands out from them. So even though the movie's not calling attention to it, the character arc and is still in there. But it's also not one of those ones where it's like – she had to learn that uh, it, at the beginning we see that uh, she doesn't yeah. spend enough time with her family. And by the well, end, the she like, spends time with her family. You know, that kind hey, of stuff. Hey, man, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying these things. No, no, I don't think I'm you're saying, saying that. I'm saying that there is a generic sort of like version of Hollywood story structure that exists out there. And so if you're if that's one thing that you're looking for, you have to recognize when there are differences. I, I, although you make it interesting. Like it's interesting to bring up the thing. Like I do think that that is a type of – story that we see less of these days that I would like to see more of, you know, like that growth. thing in Alien where the hero emerges from a group from over a group. time rather yeah. than it just being like the movie holding your hand and being like, this is the person that we're following. Where also, it's, it's I wish group. more movies had like a gross fucking thing hanging out and killing people. <laughs> well, that, yeah. goes, that, that goes beyond <laughs> without saying. We all wish they had gross things. Uh, the, but the, that, um, there's a... Uh, now, I had another thing I was going to say about structure, and and and, uh, and oh, that I think both of those movies help with avoiding. They play into a little bit, but not entirely. I I used to get mad. There were all those videos that were on YouTube that were like, every movie is the same movie. We broke down the structure to show every story yeah. is the same story. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Batman. They're all the same movie. Every movie's the same. It's like, <laughs> well, there's a lot of different ways to tell a movie that yeah. are not Indiana Jones or Star Wars or Batman. Like there's lots of there's lots of other ways to do it. Like I Tokyo guess, I guess, story. My dinner with Andre. <laughs> the four hundred blows. They're all the same. <laughs> yeah, J- Jules at Jules and Jim. Last year at Mary. And bad. Three <laughs> Godfathers, Tokyo Brackage. Godfathers. <laughs> They're all the same movie. Wax of the discovery of television among the bees. It's all the same. So, like, Men I think of the, the North. Uncle Boone, yeah. you can recall his past lives. <laughs> I, I was a simple man. All these things. I think, uh, I, I think so. It's a. Uh, I think you owe it to your students to show them. Hollywood movies that aren't exactly those things so yeah, that you yeah. can then start interviewing. Because there is a structure to, I mean, that, and that's the issue. Don't show them, uh, don't show them Aline because Aline has no structure. That's the problem <laughs> is that it's, instead yeah. of being a structured movie, it's just kind of like, it's like a child telling a story. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and you're like, all right, where is this, where is this going? I don't understand. Yeah. No, I think you just, I think that you should just have them watch as many movies that do interesting things with a screenplay as you can because like i don't know like you get into things like there's stuff that's like very like classically structured in a way that is sort of you understand like this is this is a story this is a hollywood story and then there's stuff that like in terms of horror for instance like seeing barbarian this year like i love the way that screenplay works but it works very clearly in part because it is breaking structure it is like leading you to believe it is under one structure and yeah. then it's a different one and then you have to but like that is something that you get to after understanding maybe like the basics of movies because it doesn't affect you the same way if this is the first movie you have ever seen in your life you know 
I don't know. If That'd be funny if Barbarian clear, was the first but, person anyone, the first movie anyone ever saw in their life. What a like, crazy oh, so this movie. is how movies work. Oh, <laughs> All okay. movies are like this, I guess. <laughs> this is the way movies are. <laughs> that would be so funny. It's like a, it's like a very simple version of Dogtooth. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> all the movies uh, are like this. They're all like this. They all have Justin Long in them. Yes, all of them. I, I remember <laughs> reading a tweet where somebody got out of a screening of Teton, and a guy was telling his date. He was like. Yeah, uh, all French movies are like this. They're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, this Everyone, is- in, all, in all French movies, someone's belly is ripped open by a by a metal <laughs> sphere. Yeah, it's, it's t- adorable. That's what birth is like, Elliot. It's so, yeah, try having like, really, kids. A French French babies are all chrome. Yeah, all French babies are chrome. That's all why chrome. it seems weird to us. So that's that's why he's not freaked out when he delivers the baby. Exactly. Um. Spoilers for Titan, I guess. It's time to recommend some movies you can watch instead of Aline. Um, We just got out of October, Shocktober, the horror season. I went to uh, Dismember the Alamo, the marathon at the Alamo Drafthouse, and uh, I want to recommend my favorite of the films I watched there, Paganini Horror, which... um, Paganini Horror? Paganini Horror. Have you not seen this one? No. This would be right up your alley. Um, So uh, this is one of these movies that, uh, you know, exists in the liminal space between (laughs) like a horror movie that I'm enjoying on its merits because it's like bright and fun and and does wild stuff and is also like bad because of production elements. Um, It's a movie that... Oh, yeah, this looks good. I believe... (laughs) I believe oh, from wow. what I can tell yeah. is a film that was, you know, spoken on set in English by Italian actors and then, like, they had American actors maybe dub over that so it was without an accent or or something to that effect. It's possible. I mean, Italian movies, at, even at that time, were still mostly they, – they rarely recorded sound on set anyway, uh, you know? So the, well, the, most of Italian – most of Italian film history, they would post-record that. So even movies in Italian would be dubbed. Basically. Well, I'm just saying, like the lip, the lip motion appears to match the words, but not uh-huh. quite. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's it's one of those, and, and the screenplay is very literal minded. Perhaps a screenplay one imagines maybe that was written to be performed in English by a non English speaker. So everything that happens in the movie is being explained very literally at all moments in a way that like makes it feel like Dan Brown wrote a goosebump goosebump book <laughs> like it's like okay <laughs> and it's like this wild uh plot about this old scrap of a Paganini uh uh music for for piano i guess that like they then adapt into a song uh-huh. uh but then that song has like nefarious because, like, they, they, like, buy it from a character that's uh, obviously coded to be the devil. Like, Donald Pleasant shows up with a 666 briefcase, a briefcase where the that's the combination to the lock. Um, that sounds great. Anyway, you get you get a sense of the vibes I'm, I'm talking about here. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just very, like, especially with an, an audience. If you, if you see this, this is a good one to get some of your goof-minded friends around and, and watch this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that is uh, playing in select cities right now, or maybe not, depending on when you listen to this episode. Uh, I'm going to recommend the new movie from our boy, Park Chan-wook. Uh, the movie is called Decision to Leave. 
Uh, it is, I think, a little bit sweeter than some of his other movies. Well, this is the film funny. adaptation of the show I think you should leave, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Wait, yes. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> uh, It is a, a story about a... A detective who is investigating a murder and he uh, his life becomes more complicated uh, when he uh, meets the uh, widow of the dead man and it is great and it's funny and it's it's kind of less of a thriller than a lot of his other stuff, but uh, it's very hot uh, and it's great and I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, it was great. Thumbs up. Decision to leave. Check that shit out. And I'm going to recommend a Japanese movie from 1998. This is a movie called Afterlife, uh, written and directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. And this is a movie where uh, it it posits that when you die, you go to a facility where you are interviewed about your memories. And then you get to choose one memory. And the people who work there make a movie of it. You watch the movie. And then that's your existence for the rest of eternity is just reliving that memory. And so we follow a few different people who are either running through their memories, trying to choose the right one, or having trouble choosing a memory. And we talk to the and we meet the people who actually have to sit down and and figure out how to make these as movies. And I found it to be a very beautiful movie and a very moving movie and funny at times, but also very sweet at times. And there's nothing for a movie that's about the afterlife. It's also super matter of fact and straightforward. And uh, one of the part of the fun parts is when they're like. Okay, this guy's memory is about flying a plane, so I guess we got to figure out how to how to uh, you know Wes Anderson and Rushmore kind of like be kind rewind, figure out how to make it feel like we're shooting a movie where a plane is flying. Uh, wow. And so it's a it's just, it was just a really good movie, and uh, I I found it to be just a very uh, just a very positive experience. So that's Afterlife, and I watched it on the Criterion Channel. I think it's still available there. Man, that's three very similar recommendations. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, guys. I'm looking at, look, wait, I want to say looking up, mm. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for uh, Paganini Horror, and it says in it that it was prefaced on the idea that the Klaus Kinski, Klaus Kinski biopic Paganini was going to be a huge hit, so they had to have a horror <laughs> ripoff version of it. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, and I think. I'm pretty sure that Peggy Horror is more widely, widely remembered at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I, you know, Elaine. Elaine? Elaine? I'm already forgetting. Elaine? Elaine? Elaine. Here's where we leave you, Elaine. It's been nice <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> and this is, we, the, we, for new listeners, Dan always personally addresses the film. <laughs> yeah. And, and bids farewell. Very warmly. Uh-huh. This is actually a very for- sweet. A very sweet ritual. I think we should do this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were only in our life a short time, but you brought the three of us <laughs> So much joy, yeah. So uh, thank you. And thanks to you, our <laughs> listeners. Thanks to uh, Maximum Fun. Go to MaximumFun.org. See all the other shows on our podcast network. They aren't just, uh, you know, faceless overlords. They're nice people. Check them out. Um, and thank you to Alex Smith, who edits and mixes the show and does his own stuff under the name Howell Dotty, um, which is also his handle on Twitter. We were just on his fast track. We put out a song about a sexy xenomorph that I have sent to friends who uh, surprised, I could hear the surprise tone in the text back said, this is a real song. Yeah. That's the thing. It, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. it's a goofy, dumb <laughs> song about 
a sexy xenomorph, but it's also really well done. Uh, thanks to Alex uh, Smith, and um, he made it. He made it he pretty it. funky. Yeah, it's a yeah, good, he did. It's uh, a guys, good I actually have some exciting news. I wanted to break. I sent oh. a tape of that song to this manager. And uh-huh. he loves it, and he wants to marry all of us. Oh, that's amazing! Wow. Even though we're all twelve years old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but don't worry, we're we're grown men whose heads are on twelve year old bodies, so it's okay. okay. So it's not gonna, it's not weird then. Yeah. No, no, no. All right. Well, thank you for listening for the Flophouse. I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. Jesuit Elliot Kalen, French again. Au revoir. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Our bases are covered. All mm-hmm. three bases. For All the three bases this, are belong to home us. Home is not does mm-hmm. not count as a base. No, no. Home is a, is just an idea. It's a concept. Home is a state of mind. It's where the heart is. It yeah. is. It's where I want to yeah. be, but I guess I'm already there. That's where I left it. Mm. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Stuart lives in San Francisco now, guys. Mm-hmm. Mola Ram took out my heart <laughs> and put it in San Francisco. <laughs> put it San in Francisco. an envelope. Just they call wrote it. to San Francisco. Do you think that's what happened to Tony Bennett? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the Mola Ram was The original version yeah. was a duet with Mola Ram. I left your mm-hmm. heart in San Francisco. And then they, you know, there was tensions between the two of them, and, and Tony Bennett ended up just recording it on his own. Yeah, eventually it broke up. Um, but then okay. Mola Ram told that story to Paul Schrader, and he became the inspiration for the movie Heartbeeps. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.